This is Diapers and Disciples, episode 43. On Diapers and Disciples, we're talking about living out the Great Commission as a mom. I'm Amber O'Hearn, and today's episode is part four of a five-part series on discipleship of our kids. Today's chat is with Lila Lawler from the blog Like Mother, Like Daughter, and author of The Little Oratory. We talk about making a sacred prayer space in your home and living liturgically as a family. To hear a bonus episode with Lila and other extra content from past and future guests, be sure to join me on Patreon at patreon.com slash diapersanddisciples, or you can find the link in the show notes of today's episode. Your $4 a month will help cover some of the costs for the show, and for that, I am so, so grateful. Thanks for considering skipping one latte a month to help offer encouragement to another mama. And thanks for listening in today. Here's my chat with Lila. Hi, Lila. Thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So at least two of my past guests have uh, mentioned you. The first was an episode from the last season I had about uh, good children's literature. And my guest, Sybil, had recommended your blog, Like Mother, Like Daughter, Um, And there you have like a library project and um, talk about uh, some books to um, stock your bookshelf that are that are good for your children. And then just recently, another guest had mentioned your book, uh, The Little Oratory. So I am just thrilled to be able to chat with you. Uh, So I thought you could start off by just telling us a little bit about you and about your family. Well, um, I am... Uh, the wife of Philip Lawler, who is um, a writer on um, church matters and reports the news um, online for about the Catholic Church. And we've been married for, in August, we will have been married for 39 years. And oh, we have, Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and we have seven children, and uh, they range in age from 37 to um, 21. And, um, that is, um, my readers know that is Bridget and she, um, just graduated from college. So I have written my last tuition check. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, and, uh, we have, um, going on 14 grandchildren And they're all um, seven and under, which is really great. So we have four married children, and um, we're really just so excited and um, blessed to have um, a bunch of little grandchildren running around. And basically, I am just, I'm a convert to the Catholic faith. Um, I converted in high school, and... um, I went, you know, I became a wife and a mom in the 80s in a milieu where uh, in I was definitely expected to um, go to very elite institutions of higher education and have a really uh, smart career and not burden myself with a lot of children, quote unquote. And I early on realized that that was uh, not although I am very interested in becoming educated and that's an ongoing project, of course, um, I realized that I did really love being a homemaker and that I love the whole project of making a home and of taking care of my children, even though I would not say I'm super great at any of it. (laughs) But (laughs) it was a learning process because... Um, growing up in a very feminist uh, culture, extremely feminist, I would say, in some ways, much more so in the 70s and early 80s than now, because um, there was no wiggle room at all. You just were, for the sake of the movement, going to do these things. Um, And so there were no friends, there were no companions along the way. But I had to reinvent or discover for myself a lot of just the the, the art of making a home. And in the process of doing that, because none of that was handed down to me, um, I also gave a lot of thought to the whys 
and the wherefores, so the philosophical ideas of why uh, one would do that, one would devote oneself to that, and and why specifically the woman would be the one to do that. So I have thought a lot about these things, and um, at some point, you know, of course, homeschooling, and then there was a point where I you know, the umpteenth person said, can I just have my friend call you? She's thinking about homeschooling. And I, and I thought, okay, it's going to be a long conversation because a lot of what I want to say is, do you know what is for dinner? And like having had all this experience myself as a homeschooling mom, I was kind of like, oh, you know, it's really important to know what's for dinner. You're not going to be able to discuss Shakespeare if you have this thing looming over you, which is, mm. I don't know what to do with the package of hamburger that's in the fridge. And mm-hmm. if you're constantly stepping over piles of laundry, you aren't exactly creating an environment that's conducive to learning for your children. So a lot of what I was going to say to these moms who called me was, do you know what's for dinner? Do Have you done the laundry? And that is just such a vast conversation. <laughs> that's like kind of too much mm. dumping on someone's head that I thought maybe I should start to write about it. And so that's how the blog started. Um, in part, you know, uh, my daughter Rosie had already started it just for fun. But I got, I suddenly just thought, why don't I just write about some of these things? And at least then that conversation that I would have on the phone would maybe be a little more efficient in that I could say, why don't you read these posts and then we'll talk. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. I I honestly, and we're planning on trying out homeschooling with our um, two little ones. We just have a four-year-old and a two-year-old mm-hmm. right now. But I had not really even considered how even a decision like what am I going to make for dinner or um, having the house, you know, filled with laundry, that those would be things that could like loom over my head and make it hard to be able to uh, be present to my children. But you're absolutely right. That's really interesting. So, um, so then you began directing these people to your blog and you've continued to write on your blog now for how many years? So it's been over 10 years. Um, and I have to confess that I have slowed down in the past, um, I don't know, a year or so, uh, just, and we've also, I, it's a blog that includes my daughters as well. Um, mostly, mainly, the great majority of the posts are done by me, uh, but as they have gotten busier with their children, and um, as I have become more focused on writing a book that uh, is a compendium of all the posts I've written, I've posted less and less. However, it's all there. The archives are all there. I do post, try to post at least once a week. So there is a ton there and it's called Like Mother, Like Daughter and it's likemotherlikedaughter.org. Okay, great. Thank you. And um, I I found that so interesting because I, uh, the part about you um, not growing up in a Catholic home, Mm -hmm. because when I initially started um, reading some of your writing before I knew a little bit more about you, I assumed that you had grown up in a Catholic home Mm -hmm. um, because of your writing on liturgical living and uh, family prayer. Um, so, so what was that like not growing up in a, in a Catholic home and then, um, marrying your husband who I believe was Catholic at the, at the time. And then had you become Catholic or you hadn't converted yet? Yes, I had become a Christian. And then, um, just before we were married, I entered the Catholic church and I would say that both of us were, yeah, fairly not too swift about any of it. (laughs) (laughs) so I guess my question my follow-up question then is um where where did you were you learn every learning everything you you know kind of on your own just by researching or talking with other women about how they did liturgical living or it was just you know a day-by-day discovery for you what was that like well I mean actually when I look back it was it was really um, difficult. And sometimes I can be a little bit bitter about how few resources there were or how little I knew and how little anyone was able to tell me. The only thing that consoles me is just to think that the, um, the journey that I went on maybe is helpful for others, especially if they feel like maybe they've kind of made a mess of things or, or have 
not known what to do, maybe it can give them a little hope because I certainly did not start with all the pieces in place and, you know, having things handed down to me from um, the generations before and just stepping into the way it should be that there's a tradition and we just know how to live that tradition and organically just do with our children without overthinking, but in a beautiful way, what has been given to us. But on the contrary, that is not how it was. And I'd say that my conversion was very intellectual and that I didn't have, um, you know, even personal resources of just even just being, you know, a good person with good habits. And a so I had to learn so much. And my husband did grow up in a in a Catholic family. But I would say that one of the crises of the church precisely was this, that people had kind of given over the whole idea of prayer to the schools. He, re- he remembers going to Mass as a child, that the children would go down to the basement and the, the nuns would mind them and lead them in some sort of prayers during mass. So, you know, I think that, I think that, so I got married in 1979 and I would say that things were just not very helpful. And so the culture wasn't there. And then also just a lot that has ensued in the meantime wasn't there of just trying to delve into the, you know, the, so so to speak, the archives of the past to try to figure things out. A lot had mm-hmm. been lost, jettisoned, thrown overboard in Vatican II, and people weren't, were not interested in having any kind of, you know, pictures in the home or what have you, sacred images to them that represented the old stuffy pre-Vatican II church. And so, you know, it was kind of like a make it up as you go along kind of thing, which doesn't really is not super helpful. And um, talk about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. So I would say that I had the error that many people have I operated under, which was that we're just going to tell our children the truth about things. And that'll be that they'll just we'll just tell them. But that's not how children learn things. So I would say that I I did make a lot of mistakes along the way. And it wasn't until later when I um when I met certain key friends who did have the benefit of uh, having had things passed to them that I began to get a glimmering of things and we, we moved and we had said the rosary together and so that was that was at least a foundation. Um, but to meet people, to walk into a friend's house and to see that she had in um, a corner of her dining room a very beautiful pair of images of the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart and a little candle in front of that and all kept very beautifully in her whole house, you know, very tidy and homey and not at all grand and just being struck, you know, this is this is a real Catholic home and I have a Catholic home, but I would like it to look like a Catholic home Mm -hmm. in this simple, humble way that doesn't smite you with anything, but that does just let you know. And that was sort of um, the beginning of things. You know, we did just have to struggle and learn and Mm -hmm. um, yeah, took a long time. And the fruit of it eventually of all, of all the things that I learned and, I would say that maybe only our two youngest were really the recipients of the whole big picture, which of course I'm still trying to fill in. Um, That, so it all, you know, it's not like, Oh, the whole time we were doing what, what we set out to do nevertheless, or what we knew, you know, vaguely knew should be done, but didn't know how to do. But nevertheless, Mm -hmm. I do feel strongly that God um, will honor at least our attempts. And so we should never lose hope. And mm. certainly he, he did little by little reveal to me different things that are traditional things to do in the family and the ways of living, especially as regards celebrating the liturgical year. And um, that has that has really been a real blessing. So one thing I will say is that from the very beginning, 
of our life together, my husband insisted that we celebrate Advent and that we not just plunge right into, quote unquote, the Christmas season. And he was quite, quite adamant about that. And I'd say that that was a truly tremendous boon to our family life that only unfolded little by little over the years. But I can look back and I see that that bore its fruit because if we do, we are living liturgically when we live the seasons of the liturgical year. And so we did have those beginnings. Mm. Yeah, I love that. That's beautiful. And um, I, I just love, you know, humbly where you are coming at this. And I think that's an encouragement to so many women who maybe feel like they don't have it mm-hmm. right right now or they don't have it together. And um, to know that there's hope in that oh, and, yeah. you know, that Jesus is pleased with our efforts. And, oh, yeah. Um, Oh, yeah. I love that you said that. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, so the book, The Little Oratory, that came um, then from putting together, um, you know, I think what you call the collective mem- memory okay. of, um, of um, different ways to celebrate um, prayer in your home and setting up a sacred space. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you tell us a little bit more um, about the book and um, about what The Little Oratory is? Well, um, as I'm learning all these things and I'm starting to to put pieces together in my mind, one of the pieces was I was involved with helping with the um, catechesis of the Good Shepherd Atrium in our community. I'm not a trained teacher myself, but I have helped in it. I have taken a little bit of training and um, and I definitely, it did change things for me in in seeing that there's a certain fundamental relaxation that we should have when we are thinking about transmitting the faith to our children. And I saw the importance of having uh, the prayer table in the atrium and how the children are eager eager to gather around it, how it draws them, and how the the adult leading them um, is is facilitated in having that relaxed atmosphere and being able to just talk to them versus the other thing I was talking about of like somehow transmitting information to them, <laughs> right. which is so deadly. And and then um, I, I thought about it and I thought, but the thing here is, and it's, it's really just that as beautiful as the atrium is, it ought to be a reflection of what's in the home and what's in the church. And the thing is mm-hmm. that at the end, end of every year in any catechesis, situation, the teachers are going to get together and they're going to say, what can we do? Because the parents just don't realize that we could be standing on our heads with our efforts, but if this is not in the home, it will not work. It will not be fruitful. And so what can we do? And so I had, um, (laughs) I had, been talking to the lady who led it and I had said maybe we could have some sort of conference in our in our church some sort of like little conference where people could offer sacred images uh, for sale and maybe we could help people give a little talk about setting up some sort of sacred place in the home so that they could pray at home along with the liturgical Mm. seasons of the year. So for saints days, celebrating the saints days, for the seasons of Lent, Easter, for the seasons of Advent, Christmas, that somehow in the home there would be this connection to what goes on in the liturgy at Mass. And she thought it was a great idea, and I drew up some points, and I sent it to my friend David Clayton, who is an uh, iconographer and with whom I'd had some conversations. And I just basically said, what do you think of these points? This is what we're trying to get going in our parish. Um, just interested in your feedback. And he wrote back to me and said, this is basically the outline of a book I want to write. Um, and the publisher actually said, I should get in touch with you. And would you like to write this book with wow. me? So, um, which was hilarious. Cause of course I had no thought of doing that. I had wanted to write a book wow. that's based on what I've written in the blog. And, mm-hmm. but I was kind of like, okay, well, yes, we definitely have to do this because this is crucial. If we're going to have a renewal of the faith in our culture, it is going to be founded upon the connection between the home and the church. 
And for there to be prayer in the home, there simply must be a place in the home. This is a very traditional idea. It's not something that we made up. It's not like a newfangled idea. It's a very old idea because it relates to how we are made as human beings because we are both material and spiritual. And the fact that we're material, the fact that we we have eyes and ears, we have senses, means that we're drawn to truth through beauty. And there, there simply must be this highest beauty of the images of our Lord, our Lord on the crucifix, our Lord in his mother's arms, the beauty of the image of our lady who is total beauty, tota pokra, that's one of her titles, that this beauty must radiate in a physical way, in a material way in our homes so that we um, can enter into these realities because we cannot live on an abstract plane. We're not merely spiritual. We are material as well. So the idea of, I feel like when looking back at my life as an adult, that the church took this gigantic swing towards having everything be abstract, having it all be ideas. And if people were going to discuss truth, they were going to be truths that were just simply given as such and in no way mediated through beauty. And in fact, as we all know, beauty was actually the object of of quite a bit of um, an attack. And a lot of beautiful things were destroyed on the basis that they somehow got in the way. But that's not actually true to our nature. Our nature is to be drawn by beauty into truth and goodness. And we actually cannot know truth and we cannot be good without beauty. So David and my idea was to um, offer people icons, which are in the back of the book, easily detachable by perforated pages, beautifully printed. So if you want to, you can and they're, they're painted by him. So if you want to, you can make your own um, little oratory. We called it prayer table, icon corner, whatever you want to call it, um, place of prayer in the home. You can use your own images, of course, whatever you prefer and like. Um, there are some criteria for sacred images which are worthwhile thinking about. We go into that in the book. And that then the book would be an explanation of how to go about doing this, what you would do there, how it's just a place in your home, that even the glance towards the image is the beginning of prayer. Because when we intend to pray, we're already praying. So simply glancing at the image draws us immediately towards the truth it represents. Hmm. I love that. That's beautiful. Um, my husband and I often talk about how we want our home to be, you know, extent, an extension of the church where there's images or, you know, maybe little statues that mm-hmm. remind our kids of um, going to church. And so it, it feels like home when we go to church and um, the church is at, at home too. Um, okay. And there's some um, familiarity there. So I, I really love that. Well, and, you know, the church is described in ancient texts as being, um, the home is described as being the domestic church. Mm. And this is not just a metaphor. Because the husband and the wife um, have a, a actually a sacramental bond, because marriage is a sacrament, that means that marriage is a, is a liturgical reality. And mm. every liturgical reality, every sacrament is connected to the primary sacrament of the Eucharist. So the home is a domestic church in the sense that there is this liturgical connection with what happens on the altar in church. So it's actually just vitally important. We're just completely handicapped if we don't somehow make present in our homes this sense of um, the spiritual center and it, but the beautiful thing is it can be done however suits our uh, unique sort of temperament as a couple. And mm-hmm. it can just be, it's not like anyone is saying in this book, this is how it has to be. It's just saying, think about this and how you would express this. And mm-hmm. then here's the means to do it. Mm, I love that. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I get the impression from your writing that you you tend to lean more towards the recommendation of you know, finding 
what prayers and what, what devotions, what celebrations work best for your particular family, as opposed to recommending like doing everything <laughs> throughout <laughs> yeah. the year. Um, yeah, yeah, I would definitely recommend uh, do not do everything. David and I, um, my co-author and I are easily overwhelmed. We agree as converts that things really easily overwhelm us. And our tendency is kind of just to shut down. And we have a chapter about that in the book about how, you know, it was almost like an avoidance thing of like, just please don't tell me one more thing because <laughs> I just can't <laughs> handle it. But, right. but when you are liberated by realizing that um, there is this liturgical life of the church that is, that is completely given, it's a given, it's not constructed in any way. Um, and it consists of the mass, and the liturgy of the hours and adoration, and that um, that is the river that's spoken of in Scripture, in Ezekiel, and in um, Revelations. It's the river mm-hmm. that flows from heaven to the world through the heart of Jesus on the cross, and it wells up from within each baptized person and through the sacraments, so through the sacrament of marriage. So this river, this liturgical river, is something that's fixed. And it's there. And if you were a nun, then you would have made a vow to pray it in a certain way every day. But the married person has no such vow. But to know that that river is there and that anytime we're dipping into it by praying any part of it, and of course, by going to Mass, um, and the obligation, the obligation that we have is to go to Mass on Sunday, that we're partaking in that. And that is the ultimate prayer. So that prayer life is is just fixed and given. And when we have our little oratory in our home, we're sort of saying, I'm connected to that. And then there are the devotions, the primary one, of course, being the rosary. But all of those things are very much from the heart, the heart of the person. Like what touches me to express to God how I feel about him? And what I want to say to him and then making my heart burn to long for him so that he can speak to me. And so all of those things have to be very personal. They have to be um, things that we, that fit us perfectly. So one person might want to do all the novenas and all the rosaries (laughs) and all the things and have all the medals. And that could be overwhelming for the other person, but the other person should feel very confident that, you know, if, um, she has her patron saint and a few other saints and prays the rosary or what have you, that that's quote unquote enough for God because it has to do with the heart. Mm. So those are kind of the two ways of thinking about prayer, the liturgical prayer and the devotional prayer. And we do go into that in the book, but I definitely think that although it's helpful to make a rule of life for ourselves, like here are the things that I'm going to try to do, not to compare my rule with someone else's rule, because it should be, it's my relationship with God. You know, yes, it has the fundamental thing of I must at least fulfill my obligation to go to Mass on Sunday, but beyond that, it should be very, very much a personal thing and not mm-hmm. a burden. Mm-hmm. I love that so much. Um, I, I wonder if you can talk a little bit more about uh, liturgy of the hours with family life, because I, I think when I thought about, uh, I don't, we don't currently pray liturgy of the mm-hmm. hours as a family. I think because the idea of it felt a little overwhelming to me mm-hmm. sure. um, with my toddlers. Yeah, but I think the way that <laughs> yeah, the way that you present it. Um, was really was really interesting that it might um, not necessarily look like praying all the hours and praying everything, oh, yeah. no. right? Uh, so, yeah. could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So, um, first of all, you know, the first thing is just to have it firmly in mind the distinction between the liturgy of the hours and devotional prayers, so that we understand that the liturgy of the hours is a given and it's something that the whole entire universal church is praying and it's a prayer mm. that is being prayed in heaven and mm. we are when we pray it we're we're be connected with that prayer in heaven mm. and it is the the source and summit of it is the eucharist so um 
But I think that we, when we start to think about it that way, we can see that in a sense, it's not really enough for us just to be at mass because like that moment when the priest elevates the host, that moment could open out into our whole day but we have it's gone very quickly we receive and then we leave and there's a thanksgiving but then we have you know the rest of the day and etc but if we start to see that the liturgy of the hours the hours are the times of prayer that are scattered throughout the day at certain times but they're not an hour each one is not an hour the longest one if you said it by yourself would probably be about maybe eight or ten minutes and if you said Mm -hmm. it with others maybe 12 or 14 minutes but they're pretty, you know, they're not an hour, but at the same time, it's a lot, but each one has its own characteristic and expresses the characteristic of the time that it occurs and something, it's like opening up some part of, of salvation history and understanding to us. So, so it's like the whole incredible liturgical gift is being brought through the whole day. Now, if you're a religious, a priest or um, a religious, then you make a vow to pray the whole thing. But I think it it would be madness. <laughs> very few, <laughs> very few married people could or even should, I would say, try to do the whole thing. Nor do they have the obligation. But what's very beautiful is if together, like if you personally say, "Oh well, I personally would like to pray a, even a part of one of the other hours." which is completely legitimate. It would not be legitimate for a nun to say, I just want to pray a part of Vespers. No, that would not be okay. (laughs) Because she's proud before God to pray the whole thing. But for a mom to say, you know, we'll just pray the Magnificat or we'll just pray the Antiphon for the day and the reading and the Psalm and the Magnificat or whatever you can swing, then that's very lovely and connects us at a different time, even supposing you can manage to go to Mass in the morning on a day that isn't Sunday, that and that would be one of your quote-unquote hours, but then also to pray Vespers or Compline, which is the night prayer, which is very short, then you aren't just praying a devotional prayer, you're actually praying with the Universal Church in the liturgy. And that brings its own grace. So that's like a sacramental grace to participate in that because then we're directly participating in this river of prayer that's ongoing. So the first thing is to become familiar with it and not to worry about doing any of it, but just to try to understand. And that's a huge task because it's pretty vast. And we do have a chapter in our book. We do recommend a book by Daria Saki that is in the resources. And that is about... um, how the lay person can pray the liturgy of the hours. Uh, if you happen to have a breviary in the beginning, which is the book of the liturgy of the hours, and the first part of it will explain it. And you can even make that your spiritual reading, just, you know, every day, just read that for five minutes and continue reading it until um, to get familiar with the idea. When you get familiar with the idea, that can take a while. Then I think the Holy Spirit might whisper to the couple, especially, um, or maybe just the one of the two, here's what maybe you could try. And maybe it's Vespers, maybe it's night prayer, which is very beautiful because it's the, um, the nunc dimittis, um, the, the now Lord, let your servant depart in peace um, from the uh, presentation in the temple mm-hmm. so it's just which is very short and then the our father the bones of it are that the our father and then the um one of the four marian prayers depending on the season which is very doable mm-hmm. even for little children so that could be one thing um and for instance at one point my husband and i decided that because our ride to mass is about 12 minutes that we could pray the um, office of readings in the car. And so that is something we do every morning on our way to mass, uh, which is the office that the hour that brings in a long reading from 
either most usually a church father or a saint or sometimes a document. So that's very beautiful to just increase our knowledge as well as our wisdom and receive the grace of having prayed that. Another thing I often suggest is that Advent and Lent are two seasons of the liturgical year where we do already want to do more for the Mm -hmm. Lord. And as a family, especially when the children are getting older, when the father of the family, like just before Advent begins, when he says, let's say on the Feast of Christ the King, he says, you know, next week is the first Sunday of Advent. And I was thinking that our family could do more to prepare for the Lord's coming at Christmas. And so your mom and I are going to say Vespers at our little oratory So we are going to light the candles and we're going to have the breviary and we're going to pray Vespers and that will happen at 530. And if you want to come join us, you can. Otherwise, we just need to be quiet. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then what we have found is that, yeah, we might just do it for Advent or we might do it for Lent or both. And we might not do it the other seasons, but that's okay. It's very fruitful for our family to do that. Then the last thing I would say is that the best way to do all of this would be to find people who know what they're doing so that you could join with them and little by little learn from them. Um, Maybe there's a monastery nearby. Maybe there's a family who already does it. Maybe you know, have some Orthodox friends who do it. This is their normal prayer together, Vespers. And to join in with them until you learn, because especially the flipping of the pages can just be defeating if you're kind of coming at it cold and it shouldn't be a big uh, kind of intellectual engineering project. It should just be more natural. And to do that, you just really need to learn it from someone else. Sure. That makes sense. That's great. That's so helpful. Um, so I'm thinking for the, the mom who's listening, who's still in the early years, who hasn't really implemented anything yet, mm-hmm. um, I know you just mentioned Advent and Lent and then establishing um, like a sacred prayer space. Would you say that those are two, like the two places that would be good to start? Or do you have any other recommendations for moms who are maybe still in those early years? Yes. Um, Any mom in any stage of her life, any family, the way to begin the life of prayer is to pray along with the liturgical seasons of the church. So I would say that, and the help to doing that is to have the little oratory, the little um, prayer table, what have you, on your mantelpiece or wherever it is. Um, It could even be on the kitchen table in a little tray, but to have that place in the home and then to begin living the liturgical seasons and the beginning of the whole cycle is Advent. So Advent is, I always say to um, people, this is your chance. Like this is the new beginning and (laughs) everyone can do it. And it can even be, I even have a post about this um, in answer to a mom who was like, I have teenagers. I just don't know. This is going to seem really awkward. And you'd be so surprised how this is the beauty of our church is that when you say even to your teenagers, Advent is coming and here's what we were thinking of doing. Please join us. They're going to be all for it. They're going to love it. And it's beautiful. Advent is a beautiful time. You just, the things that go along with it are so beautiful. They touch everyone's heart. Everyone loves Christmas. And what can be more natural than preparing for Christmas? But even if we were starting, let's say, you know, in the end of the summer or any particular time, there's always a saint's feast day right around the corner. And, you know, once we get into the habit of looking at the liturgical calendar, usually churches um, do offer calendars that have all the feasts and everything on there. And anyway, it's all available online. So once we get used to thinking that way and we can see, oh, you know, Actually, the the saint after whom one of my children is named, the feast of that saint is coming up. Let's make sure on that day that there's some little extra special something, whatever suits your family, whether it's, you know, an ice cream cone or a hike through the woods or whatever, like, oh, in honor of your saint, 
um, we're going to do this thing and uh, or have this cheat and we are going to ask that saint for prayers. And you continue along that way, observing what the church observes in the times that the church does it and learning more and more. And you see that the more you learn, the more you know. And little by little, you find you're living her rhythms. And living the church's rhythms is the key to the prayer life because it's not at all something that we do by effort and sort of the sweat of our brow and figuring everything out and thinking, overthinking it. It's more just the church is a great family and it's the family life of the church. Hmm. I love that. Beautiful. So Lila, how would you say you've seen the Lord at work in your life the last year? Well, uh, I don't know. Um, I, I try not to assess too much um, or to look for signs. I put my trust in that I am, you know, I have my, my rule that I've decided on in prayer and with my spiritual director, and I try to stick to that. And I know that sometimes I fail and sometimes I do a okay job, but I know that I, the Lord will be faithful to me. And so I try not to look for any particular signs, but he is mm-hmm. always very good to me. So, um, I don't know. I mean, in the past year, honestly, when you get to be a grandmother, everything goes so fast. (laughs) But I am not sure how to answer that question. But I would say to anyone listening to try to detach a little bit from the assessment and Mm. wondering how you're doing and, and whether God is working. Because Sometimes it's only years and years afterwards that you look back and you say, oh, I see who was working. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't, I just didn't know it at the time because I was preoccupied. And we are so busy and that's mm-hmm. okay. God gave us this life. And so we just have to embrace it and make room for him where we can. And hopefully that even in the places where we feel like we can't quote unquote make room that we still know his presence is there and we can glance at the image of him on the cross and know that he's there and then just trust in that. Hmm. That's beautiful. I love that answer. (laughs) (laughs) And what would you say is your favorite part of your home and why? Uh, I love all the parts of my home. (laughs) The parts that need to be repaired. (laughs) But um, I love my kitchen. Uh, sink and the little windowsill above my kitchen sink where I have pretty little, I have a statue of Our Lady and I have, right now I have several, um, very, very blessed in that I have a brother-in-law who at one stage in his life took up pottery and Mm. made uh, for the family, like this successful businessman suddenly made little tiny vases, which should be, (laughs) which are all trying to convince him that he needs to like go into business doing this because every mom needs little tiny vases and at this moment I do have grandchildren living with me and Mm -hmm. uh, they bring in a few tiny tiny little flowers that they've picked and then those go into the little vases in front of the statue of Our Lady Mm. and I also love my um I love my bedroom because that is the heart of the marriage that my husband and I share so it's a very special place um for me and I also love my I live in an old house and I happen to have a very nice large pantry with a window. And so that pantry not only holds my canned goods, etc., but it also has my sewing machine and my fabrics and my yarn stash. So when I go in there, a lot of times I go to get a can of tomatoes, but I also just feel like, oh, this is a good creative space for me and I could definitely sit down and make something. <laughs> oh, wow. So I don't know, but... I mean, yeah, I like my house. That's That's great. <laughs> I, I love those. I really love those. That's great. Um, and have you been loving anything in particular recently? Maybe a book or a season? Anything? Well, right now, um, I am obsessed with getting the vegetable garden in. So everything for me right now is gardening or making um, sourdough bread, which I in the fall, I started my own sourdough um, 
starter. And so I've been obsessed with making sourdough. Oh, okay. So those are my two obsessions right now. If I'm not baking, I'm gardening. And if I'm not doing either of those, I'm kind of dreaming about them. Mm. Um, I am, uh, I am reading, um, a couple of books. I recommend anything by John Sayward, who is a Catholic priest who converted from being an Anglican priest. And his name is S-A-W-A-R-D. And I'm reading a book of his that's sadly out of print, but if you ever find a copy, it's called The um, Beauty of Holiness and the Holiness of Beauty. And that's a very amazing book. And I keep on getting to the end of it and starting back at the beginning. That's how good of a book it is. Wow. Um, And then I'm also reading, um, I always have by my side, the collected sermons of John Henry Newman. And I always find good things in there. So I have a stack of books, actually, but I'm sure that I could talk about that for a while, but perhaps you'd like to talk about something else. <laughs> That's great. I, I will have to add that book, too. I have. I feel like I have this little ongoing list of books that are out of print that I would love to be able to find. So whenever I go to, like, an antique book mm-hmm. shop or something, I'll just be on the hunt for those. So I'll add that one to my list. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And then um, my last question for you is, do you have any mom hacks to share or something that's making your life a little easier? Hmm. Well, um, the um, my biggest mom hack is to know what is for dinner mm. by at least 10 o'clock in the morning. Okay. <laughs> but preferably to have your menus all planned for the week. Um, that is the greatest mom hack of all, because if you know it's for dinner and you've defrosted something, you can get a lot accomplished. Um, and other than that, um, I think that, yeah, I, I can't, when I had kind of thought of something, but now I'm not sure I can remember it, but I'm always hacking everything because my, my father was an engineer and he kind of was a systems engineer. So he was the guy who went, he was a professor, but what he taught was, um, you know, making things way more efficient Mm. and making things, uh, especially machines work efficiently. So I'm always, I've, I've just think it's in my blood to just try to make everything as efficient as possible. So I'm always hacking everything and, People have to live with my crazy, um, well, this has to be here because it's what you reach for first. But mom, we just want it to be somewhere else. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so, oh. um, yeah, I don't know. My One thing I always, uh, my daughters say, tell them on the blog that they should put their uh, dish soap into a pump dispenser on the sink if you don't happen to have oh. one of those lovely fangled sinks with the dispenser built in right if you just have a regular sink it takes um two hands to use the bottle of detergent because you have to lift it with your left hand and you have to have the sponge or rag in your right hand you have to tip the bottle over squirt the amount you want and usually that's too much put the bottle back and then it's on the sink and it's not at all aesthetic Right. It's not pretty, but mm. if you, I happen to have a friend, friends of mine went on a cruise to Alaska in 1980, possibly four, I'll say, and they brought back a heavy pottery soap dispenser, and I have that on my sink. I fill that with my dish soap. It's heavy enough so that it doesn't fall off, which is important because if it slides off, it smashes into the sink, and that's not good. And all you need to do is you can one-handedly pump a small amount of dish soap and it's pretty. So I'm a big believer in having your workspace be efficient, but also pretty. That's great. Wow. I love that. I love both of those. And I actually recently read your post about, um, sitting down with your family and asking what their favorite meals are and then compiling just a binder and then having that be a way to kind of plan out plan out your meals. I thought that was really helpful. So one, yes, one part of it, like you have to, you have to really brainstorm and come up with all the meals Mm -hmm. and then, yeah, just go for it. You just need all your meals, your menus that you're going to make 
so that you can get through your day without having to that horrible feeling of, I just don't know what to make. It's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's wonderful. Good. I'm glad. Well, Lila, thank you so much for um, coming on and chatting with me. I've I've received a lot from this. So thank you for being here. Thank you. I appreciate being with you very much. God bless. Uh, and one thing I wanted to ask you about was um, you had mentioned a new book that you're work- you're working on now that's compiled of um, what you've written about on your blog. Is that right? Yes. Trying to work on it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Is there an expected date when that might mm. be coming out? Or uh, yeah. you just look forward to it? Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I have to, I'm trying to wrestle. I started out by saying, oh, it'll be great because I can just, like, blog can sort of be my draft. But who knows? Like, I just don't even know if I would ever get to that point now, 10 years later. Oh, my goodness. So much to wrestle into shape that I don't <laughs> even know. And I don't want to just, you know, throw posts in there. I want it to actually read a little more smoothly because you write differently sure. in a post than in a book. So mm-hmm. I am working on that. So Wonderful. Well, Pray we'll for me. Look forward to that. <laughs> yes, yes, I will. I definitely will. Um, well, let me go ahead and close this in a prayer. Jesus, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the women listening today. I pray that in their work and in their time with their families today, that they would know your presence, Lord. We pray that even if we don't get much physical rest today, God, that we may rest, find rest and refreshment in you. And we pray this in your holy name, Jesus. Amen. Hi, friends. Thanks for listening in today. I was so encouraged and inspired after this chat with Lila to get back into the swing of liturgical living at home. And we have some pretty fun feast days coming up in September, including the Blessed Mother's birthday on the 8th. So I think some cupcakes might be in order. (laughs) I was also really encouraged to start looking into ways I can incorporate Liturgy of the Hours into my day with the kids. So I'll keep you posted on how that goes. As a reminder, you can find links to everything that we talked about in today's episode in the show notes at diapersanddisciples.com. Until next time, you all are in my prayers. God bless.